All right, well, today we are continuing in our series on the letter to the Philippians, and I believe this will be the next to last message. I believe next week will be the last message in that series. I encourage you, if you've missed any of them, you can find them all on our website, LancasterFirst.com, under the media tab. And so it's been quite a journey through Philippians, 18 messages from this short four-chapter letter. And uh, I told you when we started, there was a lot of great stuff in this letter. It's an awesome letter. So in chapter one, we saw that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And we saw Paul give us a fantastic example of how to deal with and live through difficult situations. And then in chapter two, he encourages us to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be willing to suffer for Jesus if necessary. We should have tenderness and compassion towards one another. We should have like-mindedness and we should have humility and value other people above ourselves the way that Jesus did, how Jesus gave us a great example of that. And we should do everything without grumbling against God and against other people, right? And then in chapter 3, he begins to warn us against the legalism of the Judaizers on the one hand and against the license of the Epicureans on the other. And he encourages us instead towards a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and encourages us um, to love him with all of our heart and to know him uh, both in the here and now and in, eventually in life eternal. And then in chapter 4, so far, he's shown us how to achieve the peace of God through prayer and how to maintain the peace of God through our thought life. And so now, over the next two weeks, we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 10 to 20. And in these verses, we're going to see some, some really cool relational stuff, right? We, we get another sense of this warm and loving relationship that Paul has with these Philippian believers. But in the midst of that, both Paul and these Philippian believers each show us something else that is really important, that will be, enable us to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, and I believe walk in the peace of God as well. And as they do it, they're not doing it by instruction or by writing or by giving us a dissertation, but they're simply living it. They're simply walking it out. And so Paul kind of opens the door to his life and, and to their life a little bit. And as we see it, we see a couple really important things. And, uh, and, and both of these things kind of go together. So these last two messages are kind of complementary, one and, and then the other. So this week, we're going to look at something really cool in Paul's heart in verses 10 to 13. And then next week, we'll look at something in the Philippians in verses 14 to 20. All right? So let's read this entire passage, get a sense of it. Then we'll come back and unpack it together. All right? So Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. And it says this. He says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. You know, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Would you bow in prayer with me over the word of God this morning? 
Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. It's a light to our path. It's food for our souls. Now fill us with your thoughts and your ideas. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so Paul starts here in verse 10 by rejoicing that the Philippians have renewed their concern for him. Now, this is not that Paul was wallowing over here in, in a corner, in desperation, wondering how he's ever going to go on for another day until Epaphroditus finally shows up uh, with support. No, something else is going on here. And, and Paul begins to display it for us in verse 11. So let's look at it. He says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Well, can I tell you something? That is quite a statement. And, and I don't want us to rush over it or, or just gloss over it, right? Content whatever the circumstances. You know, because some people are never content. How many of you have ever met somebody who is just never content? I mean, it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what blessings are coming into their lives. They're just never content. It's never enough. Always have a complaint. You know, some people are never content. And then, then there are some people who are only rarely content. But then on the other side, there are some people who've learned to be content some of the times. And even often, and, and some people who've learned to be content most of the times, right? But this that Paul is talking about is on another level. Content whatever the circumstances. I mean, that's next level stuff right here. I mean, that's kingdom of Jesus stuff right there. And, and he's not exaggerating either. He's not just writing something that, that sounds good on a piece of parchment, right? He, he's not just blowing smoke. He's living it. I mean, look at verse 12. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. You know, it's one thing to say that, that, that you're content, you know, if you were born uh, in, in a palace and you've never had any need and you've never experienced any want. But Paul says he's learned to be content even when he's hungry. And he's learned how to be content when he's in want. Now, that's some next level contentment. And so what is this that Paul has that enables him to do this? I mean, and how can we have some of that contentment. Well, let's unpack it together because there's several things in these verses that I believe God wants us to see, all right? And the first is this. It's that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Twice in these verses, Paul says that he learned contentment. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situations. It's something that's learned. And you know what that tells me? It's not something that we're born with. I mean, it would be nice if we were born with all the knowledge and all the skills that we ever needed, right? It would be nice if we didn't need to go to school and learn stuff. Well, just like you need to go to school to learn math and history and science and English, you need to learn contentment. And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we'll admit that, you know, when we were born, we have somewhat of a bent towards discontentment, towards malcontentment. And uh, as a kid, you know, we're content with our Christmas present until we see what somebody else got. We're content with our toys and we t until we see what our friend Johnny got, right? And then we tell our mom and dad that all our toys are useless until we get that toy as well. You know, as a teenager, we're content with our phone until we see the new iPhone. 
And then we're telling, you know, mom and dad, you just don't understand. My life will be ruined if you just, if you, if you don't just get me that phone. We're content with our car until we see the new models. We're content with our clothes until we walk through the mall, right? Content with our house until we see the addition the neighbor put on their house. Discontentment is easy for us. It, it comes naturally. And Paul says that contentment is something that must be learned. And look at when it is learned, right? It's not by reading a book. It's not by assimilating information. It's not really even learned in a Sunday school class or even in a sermon. I mean, you can learn a lot about it in a sermon, but you don't learn to live it there, right? So the verse says it's learned in circumstances. It's learned in situations. How many of you have ever been in a situation? How many of you have a situation, right? Many of you have situations. You know, we deal with circumstances all the time, right? I mean, a downturn in the economy, the loss of a job, being overlooked for a promotion, right? Unexpected bills and unexpected illness. Life is a series of situations and circumstances. And Paul says he learned contentment in situations and circumstances. How many of you know that Paul had some situations that he was in? I mean, situations of all types. And, and, uh, and, you know, we're pretty sure that Paul began his life in his early into his young adulthood part of his life that, I mean, he was pretty well off. He was a Roman citizen. He was intelligent. He was accepted into the best schools. He says he was excelling in his career in Judaism um, beyond those of his, of his own age. And he was uh, in good with the power crowd of his day. He had lots of advantages, lots of blessings. But most all of that went away when he began to follow Jesus. He lost his career. His colleagues shunned him. He began to experience some of more difficult situations, more difficult circumstances. I mean, look at the description of it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He, he kind of describes a lot of the stuff that he faced. These are the situations that he had to learn to be content in. He says he was frequently imprisoned. He was flogged often. He was regularly exposed to death. Five times he received 39 lashes from the Jewish authorities. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day in the open sea. He was constantly on the move. He was in danger from bandits. He was in danger from his countrymen. He was in danger from people who were not his countrymen. In danger in the city. In danger in the country. In danger at sea. In danger from false believers. He's known hunger and thirst. And he's been cold and lacking clothes. And in all of this, content. He's got contentment. And not only that, he didn't only learn to be content in the middle of all these difficult situations. Look at verse 12 again. It says he learned to be content in any and every situation. And he says it three different ways. He says, in need or in plenty, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I mean, sometimes he was well-fed. Sometimes he had plenty. And he still says he had to learn contentment in those situations as well. You know what that tells us? Contentment is not based on your situation. Right? Some people think, well, if my situation were different, then I would be content. No, you wouldn't. 
It's not based on your situations. It's, and, and, you know, it's not that having less. Some people think that having less is more spiritual, right? And having more is less spiritual. It's not that having less is any more spiritual or having more is any less spiritual or, or anything like that. that um, there's nothing wrong with improving yourself or working hard, receiving a promotion at work or a raise in salary or gaining skills that will enable you to get a good job, right? Nothing wrong or unspiritual about that. Actually, the Bible lauds hard work. What it is about is how you respond to every situation. How do you respond when you receive a promotion or when you're passed over for a promotion? How do you respond when you're hired or when you're let go? How do you respond when you experience material blessing or when you experience difficulty? How do you respond in each and every situation? You can be covetous and greedy, um, in any and every situation, whether in plenty or in want, and you can be content in every situation, whether in plenty or in want. It's entirely possible to be living in plenty and still not be content. It's kind of like this guy. This guy I heard of who, who was sitting in a park, and he was upset, and he was sad, and he kind of had tears in his eyes, and, and a friend walks up and, and says to him, you know, hey, hey, hey friend, uh, what, what's wrong? You seem kind of sad. And the guy kind of looked up and said, well, let me, just let me tell you what's going on. Um, Three weeks ago, a long-lost uncle that I never knew I had died, and he left me $100,000. And so, a little perplexed, the friend asked, you know, and that's making you sad? And, and so, he said, uh, uh, no, well, th- there's more. You don't understand. Two weeks ago, another long-lost uncle that I had, that I never knew I had, died, and he left me $500,000. And so the friend looked at him even more confused and said, uh, okay, so I'm, I'm not sure I understand. He said, that, that's making you sad? And the man looked up again and said, no, you don't understand. There's even more. Just a week ago, another long-lost uncle that I had, that I never knew I had, passed away. And he left me a million dollars. And at this point, the friend was just completely confused and said, you know, I I just don't understand. You're going to have to tell me. So why are you so sad? And the man looked up through tears and said, well, this week I haven't received anything. Contentment. Be content with what you have. Be content when you have little. Be content when you abound. Because here's the thing. Here's the issue. A lack of contentment leads to evil. A lack of contentment leads to evil in your heart. It leads to the opposite of contentment. It leads to envy and covetousness and greed. And the Bible says that greed is a form of idolatry. Paul said it to Timothy like this. He said, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, that is those who desire and focus on money and focus on getting rich, that's the focus, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I mean, think about this. This is what the first sin that was ever committed was about. I mean, the serpent came to Adam and Eve, 
and convince them that they didn't have enough, right? I mean, there's something more that God's not giving to you. God's not being fair to you. God's holding out on you. He doesn't really have your best interests at heart. He's not really being faithful to you, right? He doesn't really care about you, or he'd let you eat that fruit that's in the middle of the garden. There's something desirable that you don't have that you need. And he managed to sow discontentment in the hearts of people who had everything. Paradise, provision, perfect weather, with no mosquitoes, fellowship with God. I mean, they had it all and somehow managed to become discontent and feel like they needed more. And so the first Adam succumbed to discontent and sin. And, and not only that, but look at this. When Satan went to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, this is the, one, of the, one of the ways he tried to tempt Jesus as well. He, it says that he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor and said, you can have all of this if you just bow down and, and worship me. And, and Jesus, and he's trying to say, you know, Jesus, you don't have enough. There's some things you lack. You know, let me show you everything that you can have. He's trying to sow discontent in Jesus. And I guess maybe he figured, you know, it worked with the first Adam. Maybe it'll work here with the second Adam as well. And so, but Jesus was having none of it. He saw through it and said, you know, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Listen, if you think that if you just get one more thing, if you just get a little bit more money, if you just get that, that job or that raise or that house, that'll make me content. I'll, I'll be content, you know, with those things. That'll make me content. You're fooling yourself. Your situation will never make you content. How many well-off people do you know who are not content? They always just need a little bit more, a little bit more, right? How many well-off people do you know who, who have just as much worry and anxiety and it's fear as anyone else. And so Paul says we must learn to be content in every and any situation. Are you well-fed and living in plenty? Learn to be content in that. Are your circumstances less than desirable? Learn to be content. Now, the big question here is then, how is he doing this? I mean, how is he doing this in these difficult situations. You know, it's one thing to learn to be content. It's another thing to be able to do it, right? Uh, you know, in my 20s, I taught a lot of kids piano. Right? I taught a lot of um, children how to play the piano. I gave piano lessons. And, uh, you know, I couldn't just take a beginner and sit them down or sit down at the piano and play something from Mozart or Beethoven and then move over and sit them there and say, okay, now you do it. All right? They, they couldn't do that. They didn't have the skills and the tools to do that. They needed me to break it down into simple, uh, repeatable steps that, that they could learn and put into practice on simple, easy songs, and then one, a little harder song and a little harder song after that, until finally, after, one day after lo lots of practice and learning, then they could play Mozart or, or, or Beethoven. Right? The how is important. And so how is Paul finding contentment while in prison and abused and, and falsely accused and doing... Um, uh, without a lot of things that we take for granted. And uh, is he some kind of just super Christian? I mean, is that something that's not accessible um, to, the, to the rest of us? Is he different from everyone else? I mean, he does mention a secret, right? He mentions a secret of being content. Has, has he discovered a secret that's not available to, to everybody else? Or, or um, may, you know what, maybe when he was taken up to the third heaven, 
right? He was shown something, a secret there that the rest of us don't have, right? Or, or is Paul just playing Mozart and Beethoven spiritually, you know, in a way that, that we can't replicate? Well, no, it's, it's, it's not that. As a matter of fact, he's going to share in the next verse how he's doing this. Verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. I can be content through him who gives me strength. You know, we may not have the human strength or capacity to be content in any and every situation. But through Jesus, the one who gives us strength, we can do it. The psalmist said it this way. He said, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Contentment is found in Christ. It's found in Jesus. There are no material things that can bring you contentment. The world has nothing to offer you that can bring you this kind of contentment. There's no possession. There's no position. There's no acquisition. There's no activity. There's no pleasure, no pill, no relationship, no job that can give you that kind of contentment. Genuine contentment in any and every situation only comes from Jesus, only through him who gives me strength. You know, and at this point, I kind of want to pause here for for just a second to give us a little bit of a better definition of contentment. You know, the Greek here, it does mean content like, like we know. It does mean satisfied. It means that. But it also carried with it the idea of being self-sufficient and competent. And the Greek philosophers, they, they used it this way. They taught that people should be sufficient in themselves for all things and independent of external circumstances. That's how the Greek philosophers used this word. But, but Paul didn't really use it that way. He used it, uses it in a little bit of a different way and adjusted the meaning just a little bit. He's not saying, you know, be self-sufficient, be independent. He's not saying, you know, be the captain of your destiny here. Instead, he's kind of turns the idea on his head, and he's saying that Christ is our sufficiency. Be dependent on Jesus. Be reliant on Jesus for everything in any and every situation. We can be content because of Jesus. And we see that here and in other parts of his writings. He says, I can do all of this. I can be content through him who gives me strength. This is what Jesus saw when the devil was trying to tempt him towards discontentment. And think about it. Jesus came into the world with nothing, right? He was born uh, in a stable. He grew up poor. We think he lost his father by the time uh, he, he was an adult. And by the time he started his ministry, he had no place to lay his head, no permanent home. I mean, financially and materially, he had nothing. He lived day to day trusting God for daily bread. And the devil comes along and promises all this stuff, right? Everything that the world has to offer can be yours. And what Jesus sees is, it's not really the devil who owns all these things. It's not really what the world can offer. His provision comes from the Heavenly Father. And his focus is on the Father's long-term plan. His focus is on eternity. The author of Hebrews said it like this. He said, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So the content heart knows that contentment is found in Jesus. 
And the content heart says things like this. He says, never will he leave me. Never will he forsake me. The content heart says, God will be with me always, even to the end of the age. It says, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And God's going to supply my needs out of his riches in glory. The content heart says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. The content heart says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because the content heart knows we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We are adopted sons of the living God. We are co-heirs of God with Jesus. And we are seated in the heavenly realms with him. The content heart is looking towards eternity. It says things like this. I consider that our present circumstances, our present sufferings, are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The content heart considers who you are in Christ and is satisfied with that. It considers what you have in Christ and is satisfied with that and considers what God is doing through Christ and is satisfied with that. And so Paul opens his heart here and shows us something of the contentment that he walks in with Jesus. And so in these verses, Paul really gives us the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how of contentment. What is it? It's satisfaction in Jesus and trust in his work. When and where should we have it? In any and every situation. Why should we have it? Because a lack of contentment leads to evil. How can we have it? We must learn it by faith in the one who gives us strength. All right, would you all bow with me in prayer as we end this service this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and grace and faithfulness to us. God, as we go out into this week, help us to put these verses into practice in any and every situation we face help us learn to find our joy our satisfaction our sufficiency in you help us seek first your kingdom help us seek first how to know you and to love you fill us with your goodness with your grace with your mercy and compassion and every good thing good gift that comes from the father for it's in jesus name we pray amen god bless you have a great week